Hi, I'm John Foster. Hi, I'm Josh White. And this is Left to Burn, the podcast of thebattleground.eu. We're going to talk politics today, some parliamentary politics from UK, some strange developments in the United States, although it's hard to call it strange. It's just par for the course for the United States these days in the post-Trump world, although we might not really be in the post-Trump world, who could say? But as far as the UK is concerned, the selection process for the new prime minister is hotting up. The race seems to have come down now to Rishi Sunak versus Liz Truss, and lots of interesting things going on between the two of them. I was reading an article in The Guardian the other day that was written by, I think, Martin Pengelly about how Liz Truss had tried to promote her credibility or what have you by trashing the schools where she came from. And Martin Pengelly had apparently gone to the same schools and made the point that when they did suck, it was because the conservatives were running things. So maybe not the greatest selling point for Liz Truss, but it's interesting to see how she's trying to sell herself to the conservative electorate in the UK. Yeah, she's tried to quite literally embody Thatcherism. She even did a bit of Thatcher cosplay during one of the debates where she was wearing an exact outfit that Thatcher wore. She's played to the gallery, as they say, very well, actually, over a number of years, mainly on trade deals around Brexit. And her big thing at the moment is tax cuts and arguing that Rishi Sunak is some kind of fiscal socialist, effectively, because he raised national insurance for American listeners. National insurance is how we pay for the NHS over here. And he raised that by something like 1.2%. But it's quite a regressive measure in some ways. So it, it is felt by some people, definitely. And yeah, there was a slight increase in income tax and a plan to increase corporation tax, God forbid. And she's pitching her economic program on reversing all of that, effectively a 30 billion tax cut in one go across the board. Also suspending the windfall taxes. You know, our energy companies are making an absolute killing off of price gouging right now. And she doesn't see anything wrong with that. And it seems like the Tory base, at least the membership, loves this. Yeah, it seems like an interesting illustration of the situation in terms of where the conservative electorate is at in the UK that claiming that increased contributions to the National Health Service are the thin edge of the wedge of rampant socialism, especially as it regards Rishi Sunak. And you could tell Rishi Sunak is feeling challenged by the whole thing because I read the other day that his new move in the electoral competition, if you will, is critiquing wokeness which is the standard hymn these days for conservatives on both sides of the Atlantic. You know, on the one hand, it's not surprising. It's mostly, I think, a sort of indication of exactly the sort of concern that he and his supporters feel. The Thatcherism thing is a very obvious trope to be bringing up. Thatcherism is an interesting thing viewed from the American perspective because our cognate of that is Reaganism, but Reaganism is a lot more smiley. You know, Reaganism is about the city on the hill and that kind of folksy whatever that Reagan was supposed to embody, although he was a Hollywood actor. But that's fine. You know, that's not the issue so much. But Margaret Thatcher, she just comes off as grumpy. And it seems like Liz Truss channeling that is sort of trying to tap into the inner grump in the conservative base in the UK as a means of trying to move away from the Boris Johnson, whatever that was, to a new or a new old way of doing business in the conservative party. Definitely. I mean, Liz Truss uh, represents a break with what you might call Johnsonism, that's for sure. And the point about Reagan and Thatcher is really interesting here because, because the key difference, as you point out, is that Reaganism was a kind of optimistic, quasi-utopia vision of a free market society. It was, it was very cheerful and forward-looking. 
you know, he quoted Tom Paine a lot. He quoted Tom Paine in his inaugural address. That, that kind of thing's forgotten now. He talked a lot about remaking the world. And in the case of Thatcher, it, it was very much a kind of punitive, austere, bleak view. You know, basically saying you've all had it way too easy. Everything's been far too nice for far too long. And I'm going to turn on the cold water, basically. The kind of a sadomasochistic thing going on with Thatcherism, I think, in the UK. But an interesting point on Truss, although she is trying to like cosplay as Thatcher, represents a kind of Reaganism being imported to the UK because her platform is cut taxes first, don't worry about the deficit, don't worry about inflation too much for the time being. We'll get that under control at some point, but we'll just cut taxes for now. And that's kind of the Reaganite approach. Thatcher stalled on tax cuts for a long time. She dealt with public spending and privatization and those issues first and smashed the unions, of course. Was Liz Truss's Thatcher cosplay what caused the presenter to pass out at the recent <laughs> conservative debate that they had? I'd like to think so, but I don't, I don't think it was. <laughs> I think that the presenter probably had some sort of pre-existing condition. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. The running joke is that it was discussed at the choice the country faces and she couldn't take it. But. but the point you make about Thatcher and the way she wanted to run things versus the way Reagan wanted to run things. Reagan was so much about, let's get back to civilization as it was in the 1950s, according to Father Knows Best or Leave it to Beaver or any one of these shows on network television about this nuclear family in which the lines of authority were clear and you could have one income raising a family of four or five and it would just be okay and you could live in the suburbs or whatever there were no people of color anywhere i mean it was about smiley happy people holding hands and not having to pay the capital gains tax you know i have i have a very clear memory of thatcherism because i lived in the uk in 1986 and it's about mobs of police in the streets with truncheons and tear gas and i was there sort of slightly before the poll tax riots, but I was certainly there during the, the attempt to shut down the Sun paper plant, the striking print workers, the whole Megillah. And it was really very much a sort of, my memories of the UK in 1986 are very dark and slightly frightening by comparison to the United States, which was weird, even by my lights as a person who'd grown up in the United States. There wasn't ever that kind of frightening dimension that the UK in the 1980s under Thatcher really had. Perhaps not to the same like constant degree, you know, because Reagan had that, was it that photo op he had with trade unionists in handcuffs, that kind of thing. So there was a bit of that, but it wasn't this constant thing with Thatcherism where you had a strong interventionist state on the side of so-called free markets and the super rich, basically. Yeah, the thing you're alluding to is Reagan having the members of the air traffic controllers union jailed for striking. They had a no strike contract. The weird thing was that that was relatively popular in the United States because people were like, oh my God, you know, I want to get on my flight. Like, I don't want to have to wait. I can remember going around to shops. The guy who ran the local news agent in Long Eaton, where I lived, was just absolutely livid at the miners, you know. And this is in Derbyshire. It was a pretty significant mining district, or was at the time, probably not anymore. But there was so much anger, whereas in the United States, there was anger, certainly. I mean, I was a middle-class white kid, so... Uh, I was not on the receiving end of the bad stuff that went on, by and large, in the Reagan administration by any stretch of the imagination. Let's just put that out there. But the idea, I mean, I think Liz Truss is definitely trying to cast an association with that because it was very powerful, because it represented this sort of feeling of threat that lower middle class people felt they could feel solidarity with people up the income distribution at this idea that the interventionist state was going to take away their money. You have to stop spending other people's money, I think was her line. 
Yeah, she carried it through with an incredible degree of kind of ideological common sense rhetoric, which again, Reagan was very good at as well. Yeah, Reagan was very folksy. He had that sort of, well, gee, you know, there you go again. I mean, I'm doing a very bad Ronald Reagan imitation. The crazy thing about Ronald Reagan, too, was, I mean, this is an interesting thing about Ronald Reagan, that he was terrified, actually, of the prospect of nuclear war. I mean, there's that time he made the open mic gaffe where he said, we start bombing in five minutes, joking about starting a nuclear war with the Soviet Union. But in fact, he watched that movie the day after that came out in 1984, I think it was, and was just absolutely terrified at the prospect of nuclear annihilation. And I think it illustrated, in a way, his more idealistic thinking than Thatcher. I mean, there wasn't a lot of, like, idealism in Thatcher. There was, let's just stop the poor people from taking our money. And if that takes the short, sharp shock, so much the better. There's very much a kind of petty bourgeois mean streak to Thatcherism. Which maybe Reagan didn't have because he was distant from all of that, probably because he, I'm assuming he was extremely rich before he became president, because most presidents are rich before they get elected anyway. He was completely aloof from a lower middle class or normal middle class existence, never mind working class life. Yeah, he'd grown up actually as a sort of lower middle class kid. He had been a Democrat in the 1950s. His wife, his first wife, Jane Wyman, was a connected Democrat, and then they divorced he married Nancy. He shifted over to the kind of John Birch Society end of the Republican Party, where they were convinced that the Reds were coming up Main Street every other day. But there was a much more sort of positive demeanor. It seemed like Thatcher's rhetoric was, the country's spiraling the bowl. We need to draw a line. For Reagan, it was the city on the hill, referencing the pilgrims who were a bunch of religious zealots too, but let's just pass over that for a moment. And trying to get back to what had notionally been American civilization in the 1950s, the degree to which the story he was telling actually reflected a situation that was true is debatable. But over and above that, that's the high era of the post-war boom, which had petered out by the early 1970s. And this in a way, is what makes Reaganism seem like a great idea. We're going to get back to how it was for the unions with their excessive wage demands and everything else. So do you think that Liz Truss is going to manage to take this to the finish line? Do you think Rishi Sunak has any chance of getting back at this point? I think Truss is the safe candidate at this point in that I think that she's got most of the membership on side. That was the case from the beginning. And she spent an awful long time winning over the parliamentary Tory party. So I think she's got it in the bag. There's still time, though, for something big to throw things off. There could be a scandal. There could be a surprise that suddenly shatters her campaign. She's extremely gaff-prone. And yeah, you know, Boris Johnson called her the human hand grenade for a reason. But it doesn't look great for Rishi Sunak. I think his moment passed some time ago with the scandal around his taxes. And the memory of eat out to help out and the furlough scheme and all the nice benefits that were thrown around during the lockdown, all of the memory of that is starting to fade. And he's associated with Boris Johnson far too much, which is ironic because Truss was the Boris loyalist and never resigned. It's funny, a senior Tory is being quoted anonymously about the leadership race, and he says it's a choice between a backstabber and a moron. Wow, that's brutal. One thing we can, I think, be fairly certain of is that the Labour Party is not going to have a say in what's going on, given their situation. Just to sort of close out this topic, are you a secret agent of Novara Media? 
I wish. <laughs> I wish. The thing I'm referring to is that after Josh and I published a piece about the Ford report, Josh was accused on Reddit of being an undercover staffer for Novara Media. If they want to pay me, or if they want to pay Josh, you know, I'm really okay with that. But sad to say, Josh is not a paid agent of Novara Media, nor am I. And Very sadly, you know, the Reddit conspiracy theory is inaccurate. Sadly enough. Anyway, just to switch gears here, what's going on in the United States, aside from a lot of the country currently being on fire, is that the Democrats have finally, it looks like, managed to put together a package to address climate change in this country. The big problem heretofore has been getting the support of the West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin III. Joe Manchin, for people who don't live in the United States, is a very conservative Democrat holding a Senate seat in a state that went 70% for Donald Trump in the preceding election. So he needs to, to tack toward the middle, certainly, to the extent that there's a middle in the United States anymore. He's very much the senator from fossil fuels. Every now and then you hear people, especially on the left, talking about how Joe Manchin has prostituted himself to the fossil fuel industry. He's taken the largest amount of campaign contributions of anybody in the U.S. Congress from fossil fuel interest. His family's wealth comes from coal. So, I mean, it'd be like saying that Henry Ford had prostituted himself to the auto industry. He didn't prostitute himself. He is it. He's been the fly in the ointment for the Biden administration for pretty much the entire two years. And the problem for the Biden administration is that the U.S. Senate, which has 100 members, is split 50-50. In the case of a tie, the vice president cast the deciding vote. And of course, in this case, that would be Kamala Harris, who's a Democrat, except that if you can't get the full 50 votes, which is what's been going on because Joe Manchin has been using his position to extract concessions or just derail the administration's agenda for the entire two years that it's been going so far, it means that individual senators now have a kind of outsized power to block up processes that they don't want going forward, like in the case of Joe Manchin, limitations on new development of coal plants and other measures to uh, control or address global warming. Uh, Joe Manchin has finally apparently come around on this deal. I think it's, it was difficult for a lot of Americans to understand why he would go from absolutely no to sure. But then it became clear that the reason was that they had baked in all these things that he wanted, like more auctioning of public lands, auctioning of drilling licenses on public lands, especially in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico, other blandishments for fossil fuel burners, basically allowing them to get around some of the pollution rules with carbon capture. Still, there's a lot of stuff in this bill that is positive in terms of promoting renewable energy, trying to move us away from burning stuff for energy. A lot of the environmental organizations in the United States have come out and said, well, there is some stuff that really sucks in this bill, but on balance, it will, it will get rid of more carbon than it will produce. So hopefully that's, that's something that's going to that's gonna work going forward. Is it going to stop capitalism from devouring the planet? No, but it's probably the best we're going to get out of the U.S. Congress for the foreseeable future. Is it the case that this can now go forward through the House? I'm, I'm not too up on the state of play, is it, or is it still kind of the case that they need to win more support? The Democrats do, for the moment, have a working majority in the House, but it came out in the last 24 hours that there is another fly in the ointment, and it's Kristen Sinema, 
Kristen Sinema started out as a Green Party activist, and she's still, in a lot of respects, very socially liberal. She's in a state that has a very pronounced conservative bent, that is to say Arizona, where a lot of old white retirees end up. But Joe Biden did win Arizona, and I think to a great extent because he looks like a lot of the people who live there. But in any case, she has come out and taken this very principled stand which he wants them to take out of the bill is closing what's called the carried interest loophole. And the carried interest loophole is a provision in the U.S. tax code that allows people, and by people here I mean hedge fund managers, to pay taxes on the money they make from transactions at the capital gains tax rate, which I think is 14% right now, 14 or 15%, rather than at the tax rate that wage earners in the United States pay, which is 24 24, 25%. So there's a lot of money on the table here. And it's, it's funny to me that it's like Kristen Sinema, like running up the flag for the poor benighted hedge fund managers while the country is essentially going up in smoke. I mean, this, is, this has been a really horrific fire season. There's a drought in the West that's it's caused Lake Mead, this man-made lake in Nevada behind the Hoover Dam, to drop to levels so low that they're actually finding bodies or human remains that have been dumped there over the years, all kinds of other stuff too. So I have to say, if you twist my arm, I think they will twist her arm or somebody's arm. I suspect this deal will get done. It wouldn't surprise me if after the process, the carried interest loophole is still there because I really don't think that in in the range of possible concerns about life right now, fiddling around with the US tax code is probably less important than the country being on fire. I mean, certainly from a headline perspective, and Biden will be thinking at this point, well, he must be thinking, if at all, that he could well be a caretaker president if he doesn't get this through. You know, he needs some kind of achievement at this point. He's in bad trouble. I mean, the prognostications about what's going to happen in the midterm elections are not very pretty. And partly it's because of inflation. That has a lot to do with geopolitical events particularly the rise in the price of oil. The price of gas is about two or two and a half times what it was when Biden was elected. People seem to think that the president is, I mean, the presidency of the United States is a very powerful institution, but he's not the Wizard of Oz. I mean, he can't just speak the magic words and get gas prices to move in either direction. I mean, really, the capacity of the U.S. president to shift gas prices in either direction is extremely limited. But every sort of person of a conservative bent that you talk to in this country is like, oh, my God, Biden, he screwed up our supply chains, inflation. So the Federal Reserve has announced another like three quarters of a point raise in the federal funds rate, which is meant to be a kind of inflation fighting measure, but will have the effect of tamping down economic growth, which is another bad thing for Biden. And it's sort of like pressing a tube of toothpaste. You know, you press one place, but something else goes up. Yeah. And without a strong majority in Congress on, in the Senate, there is very little he can do. I do want to go back to the tax question on this, because that's something that's been kind of pushed to the wayside because climate change is a much bigger issue. But in this bill that's going ahead, it appears, the US is going to be taking the lead on implementing a global corporate minimum tax rate of 15%. And that's a pretty big achievement if it goes forward. And the European Union is trying to do the same at the moment. The UK is going to do the same because the OECD broke at this last uh, October. It's a very big deal in terms of global tax policy. Ironically, Donald Trump kind of laid some of the groundwork for that and Biden's just been building on it. So yeah, there's big news on the fiscal front. 
Yeah, that was one of the few non-insane things that Donald Trump was involved with. It's funny, like a fairly conservative gentleman that I speak to occasionally said to me in the sort of waning days of the Trump administration, well, he can't be all bad. Like, right, he's, he's predominantly very bad, but very occasionally, I mean, a stop clock is right twice a day. And I think Trump was right on this, although this brings up this brings up the comment that Arthur Kessler made about anti-communists. You can't help people being right for the wrong reasons. Clearly, something like this needs to happen. Clearly, it's one of those things that's difficult to make happen because the multiple sovereignties that have to be addressed in order to make it happen. But it'll be interesting to see if that can be something that moves forward. I mean, that could be a revenue stream for addressing some of the problems that are likely to make the planet unlivable in the next 50 years. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but, you know, you'd be a fool to bet against it the way things are going. Yeah, it's a great irony of contemporary politics. It fits with a kind of economic nationalism that you had with Trump, of course, and Biden inherited that. Essentially, the tax strategy was to try and suck as much capital into the U.S. as possible. And having a global corporate rate, a minimum rate, it kind of deals with to some extent, the problem with tax havens, the problem of tech companies avoiding taxes and then facing unilateral measures in places like France. So yeah, it's one to watch, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's your lot. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more stuff. Hopefully the world won't be on fire as much, although chances are that's something that's going to go on. But thanks for listening. Thank you. This was Left to Burn.